Good morning. Sorry to make y'all wait this morning. We had a little trouble, uh, or Angel had a little trouble getting me uh, presentable and moving this morning. Uh, just remember, she's an angel, not a miracle worker. So, If you'll be turning in your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 3, that's where we'll um, look this morning. Um, <clears throat> Jerry's scripture reading for today was very apropos, really, to, to what, we'll, what we will be studying. And uh, it reminds me of a story, and I don't know how true it is, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, this lady was going about her business, going down the highway, and was pulled over by a state trooper. And uh, he got her registration and her license, and he was gone for a while, and he came back, and the lady finally wanted to know. He said, she said, why did you pull me over? I wasn't speeding. He said, well, he said, uh, I saw all of the, what appeared to be swearing and the rude gesturing going down the highway, and I saw the follow me to church and I love Jesus stickers on the back of your car. I just assumed it was stolen. Um, you know, one of the problems that we have in the church and one of the greatest uh, um, Complaints in the church is hypocrisy. And, you know, I know individuals that uh, will look for any excuse they can not to go to church and not to go to an assembly of believers. But I also know that that hypocrisy sometimes is a title that, unfortunately, we've earned. And so, as, uh, as we consider uh, some portions of Scripture this morning, I, I guess a thought would simply be is allowing the talk to equal the walk. And uh, we're looking in Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, regardless of who you think the author of Hebrews is, it is one of those epistles that's written primarily to the Jew. Its emphasis is to the, to the Jewish culture and to their form of religion. And what this writer is trying to accomplish uh, in many different levels is to, to show the supremacy of Christ over all of the patterns and the people and the types in the Old Testament. He is superior over the angels. He is superior over the priesthood and especially superior over the high priest. And here in chapter 3, we find that he is superior to Moses. Now, if you've done any reading at all in the, in the Jewish literature, uh, and, and um, for example, the Talmud or, or other text, it's interesting that the rabbis are always trying to, to trace back a tradition um, or an interpretation all the way back to Moses. Why? Because to them, Moses is the bedrock, so to speak. Uh, God spoke to Moses, Moses spoke to them, and that settled the matter. Well, so they claim. Well, if we look in the early uh, first five verses of Hebrews chapter 3, we see the superiority of Jesus as opposed to Moses. And if you look... In verse 5, it says, Moses verily was faithful in all of his house. As what? A servant. Uh, for a testimony of those things were to be spoken after. And then we move into verse 6. It says, but Christ as a son over his house. What's the difference between a servant and a son in the house? The servant serves. 
the Son has authority over. Now, in this third chapter, there are two illustrations that are given that really point to the same idea. And it's not common salvation. It's not getting a person born from above. It has to do with intimacy and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, if this is written to the nation of Israel, these are already a redeemed and purchased possession of the Lord. When did he redeem them? Out of Egypt. He redeemed them by faith in Abraham before they were ever conceived. And so as we look at the book of Hebrews, this is an issue of where the writer is dealing with, an indiv- with a group of individuals that are already redeemed. And these two examples are drawing and seeking to provoke them into close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do in a house? You live there. You dwell there. How often are we told as believers to allow the Lord to richly uh, indwell us, to fill us? to be in control of us. And that's the idea of this um, concept of being uh, the house of Christ. You say, well, that could just be being saved. No, it's not. Because if you look a little further in verse 6, this is a conditional sentence. It's an if-then conditional sentence. If you do this or if you desire this, then this must be the behavior that follows. And... Is there anything that we can do? Is there anything that we can work out as far as our salvation as being born from above? Absolutely not. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. No work involved. So when we start looking at work, it has to do with discipleship. Now look at what it says in verse 6. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house are we, if... And there are five things that are said here in this first example... Uh, that we need to do. The first of which is that we must hold fast the confidence. Well, what's the confidence? Well, we'll get there in a minute. The second thing is hold fast the rejoicing. This confidence and this rejoicing in the context is associated with what? The hope. By the way, that's something else that lets you know. It's it's another flag in the scripture to let you know that it has nothing to do with common salvation because you don't hope to be saved. We hope to be found faithful. We hope to finish the race and hear, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. When we look with regard to the confidence, it's not confidence in the flesh. It's confidence in he who has begun a good work, who will finish it completely, perfectly in the end. And the rejoicing is knowing that that better day is coming. You know, this this reminds me with regard to the rejoicing and, and... This is free. It wasn't even in my notes. It just came to mind, which is unusual for me because there's really not one there between the ears, so it must be the Lord. Do you know it was for the joy that was placed before the Lord Jesus Christ that he endured the cross? You know, it says despising the shame. You know, I don't translate that word theologically the same way that that some of the commentaries do. It wasn't despising in that he hated it. I'm sure he didn't enjoy it. But I think we're looking at it in the wrong sense because Jesus wasn't suffering and dying on the cross to be saved. He was dying and suffering on the cross that we might be saved. Not just born from above, but saved completely, body, spirit, 
and soul. The despising, I think, is the same word, the same theologic meaning that was used with regard to Esau when he despised his birthright. What does that mean? Just like Esau didn't, have, didn't place any practical value on his inheritance or birthright until he saw the real value when Jacob walked off with it, Jesus, for the joy that was placed before him, counted those sufferings of no measurable consequence or value in comparison to what the Father had placed before him or out in front. If we look at it in that sense, then our rejoicing isn't about being happy. Happy is an emotion. It's like being angry. Drive down the highway, five minutes you'll go through about 20 different emotions. But joy is something different. And joy is what is placed out ahead of us if we see clearly through the hope that's defined for us in the Scripture. Do we know what's out ahead? Are we excited about it? Are we rejoicing in the fact that one day there's coming a final solution to all of our ills and our woes, and it's in the Lord Jesus Christ? We talk about our needs. We really don't have a lot of needs. We have a diversity in a single need. Our need is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the answer to every problem or every issue that we have in life, even though that those issues may seem or appear to be different. So as we look at that hope, we're to hold fast in confidence. He will complete what he started. He is faithful. And our rejoicing isn't, the, our rejoicing isn't in the fact of our circumstance it's in what our circumstances one day will be. And that's what we must hold firm. And it's not just holding firm in the beginning. Notice the scripture says we're to hold these things fast or hold them firm unto the end. Unto the end of our race. Unto the end of our journey. Wherefore the Holy Ghost saith, and notice the word today. If you look at the word today, what is it? It's present tense. It's not yesterday. It's not Tomorrow, it's today, right now. We're not promised tomorrow. And we can't change what happened yesterday. But we can change and we can do what we're supposed to do today. So today, if we'll hear his voice, and the idea of hearing his voice, um, the, the word hear. Uh, often in the Greek is akuo, and it's where we derive the term acoustics. And it doesn't just imply hearing. It implies a hearing with obeying. If you will hear and obey today my voice, notice what it says, harden not your hearts. Now, in both of these examples that are given with regard to being the house and regard to being partakers in verse 14, there are two types that are listed. The quote here with, with uh, hearing his voice today is from the 95th Psalm, verses 7 through 11. It's reminding the recipients of this epistle of what their forefathers had done when they were delivered out of Egypt. He goes on to, to further, uh, further explain what he's meaning in, with regard to, to hardening their hearts. As in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness... When your fathers, three things that they did, that's three, no, that's three. They tempted him, they proved him, 
And they saw his works. For how long? Forty years. Forty is a number not only of the kingdom, but it is also a number with regard to chastisement. After that, we see that the Lord did three things. Three being a number of manifestation or revelation. He manifested their behavior, and now he's manifesting his. It says, wherefore, because of their behavior, I was grieved. With whom? With that generation. And I said, they do always or always error, where? In their heart. And they have not known my ways. Because of this, I swear in my wrath, what? They shall not enter into my rest. So the fourth thing that we're told to do is to take heed. And notice who he's talking to. He's talking to the brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. There's another flag for you that it's not talking about people getting saved. You can't depart from someone that you haven't been with. And what we do see in this first warning, and by the way, if you're interested in doing a word study, there's two different words here that are used for lest. But if my count was correct, there are 11 lests in the book of Hebrews. That kind of goes along with the six warnings out of Hebrews. Biblical numerics is a very interesting study for me. Brother Wilson mentioned uh, one writer that uh, did some work on it, which was Ivan Pannon. And there's been several others, W.F. Grant. Uh, probably the best uh, author, if you're interested in that, uh, in that line of study, uh, would be E.W. Bullinger's book on number and scripture. It's probably the, 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 the best put together book on that subject. But you have six warnings in the book of Hebrews, six being man's number. You have 11 uh, lests uh, indicating a negative um, uh, consequence or uh, the potential for a negative consequence for bad behavior. And 11 is a number of anarchy, rebellion, and chaos. And we'll look at that in a little bit. But just keep that in mind. You have two lests within this first example. And that is uh, having an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. And then we're also told, uh, but exhort one another daily. Here's the fifth thing in that first example. We're to exhort one another daily while it is called what? How many believers do you know that are interested in being exhorted once or twice a week? That's Wednesday and Sunday. There's some that are a little more casual. They only want to be exhorted twice a year. That's Christmas and Easter. I know that was bad, but you know it's true. Exhort one another daily, and notice here we are again in the present, while it's called today. You know, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of mention, as Jerry mentioned, a lot of individuals that are struggling and, and, and really facing the end of their race potentially very quickly. Here again, we go with the yesterday and tomorrow. Their race may be over today. Don't you want to finish strong? I remember when we were having to run in boot camp, we had a gentleman there, and, and I'm sad to say because I'm actually older than that gentleman now, well, but I'm thinking about it. He's still older than me. He can't go back. 
But I remember in boot camp when I was 18, there was a guy that was there that was 35, and all of us called him Grandpa. And, uh, well, we all had nicknames. Some of them weren't very appropriate, but we were running on the flight pad, and we knew that if we, uh, if we ever fell out of formation, that they would run you like a dog the rest of the day. And he was getting tired. He was in the middle of the flight with the rest of us running. And he just kept saying, well, I can't do it. He started stumbling and whatever. And so me and another guy that was beside him grabbed him by the arms and told him to lift up his legs. And we ran the rest of the way with him. If we can do that as unsaved, why do we have such a problem doing it as Christians? Exhort one another daily. We're in a race that's far worse than being run the rest of the afternoon like an idiot around the drill pad. We're in a race for eternal variables that will continue on throughout the eternal ages. We need to be able to exhort one another when we see that we're getting discouraged, when we see that we're getting tired, when we see that uh, as the enemy presses on us and desires to sift us like wheat, that we see the need and we legitimately encourage one another. And you'd be surprised what that little bit of encouragement can see you through. And oftentimes the Lord chooses not necessarily to intervene directly. Sometimes he chooses to encourage or strengthen that brother or sister through another believer. This is not an aspect of where we're supposed to be passive. The exhortation here is that we're to exhort one another daily. While it's called today, we're not always going to have today. Now, the second example that's given is being partakers with Christ. And really, the idea of partakers with Christ is partners or associates. Have you ever entered into a partnership? I know some people have entered into a partnership that really wish they hadn't. Have. What do you do when you sit down with a partnership? You sit down and you discuss common goals. You discuss benefits and you discuss the negatives. You discuss the cost. Isn't it interesting? Jesus told us to count the cost, didn't he? He also provided us with the positives and the negatives. He set the goal. Why? Because he's the one that made the investment. But as we look at this second example, we are partakers. We are partners with Christ. And here's that little word again that covers a whole lot of territory. If. It's conditional. If, then. For we are made partakers of Christ if. And it's basically the same thing that's provided for us in the first example. It's just a different look. Because you can't be made partakers of Christ unless you've been saved. And the idea of being partakers with Christ is one day, one day being partakers with Him in glory. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And here again, that example is provided for us out of the Old Testament, as in the provocation. And notice, for some, the Lord's really gracious there with some. How many entered into the promised land? Out of the first generation, only two. You know, the second generation entered in, and two from the first generation. How many millions? And 
depending on who you read after, there's, there's estimates between the Hebrew children and the mixed multitude of anywhere from two to six million people. How many fell in that first generation over a 40-year period because they hardened their heart when the Lord spoke to them and they would not walk with the Lord? And really, the, the gist of it in the wilderness is it's like a child in the putting to the test or tempting him and proving him was that they kept pushing their boundaries over the wandering. And the Lord would chasten them and show that when uh, the Lord said not to do something, he meant not to do it. It's the same way a parent does with a child, or hopefully that they do with a child. But they finally reached at Kadesh Barnea, they finally reached the goal for their calling out of Egypt. They heard the truth, they tasted of the fruit, and they refused to move on into the purpose of their calling. And there's a lot of believers today that are tasting of the fruit. They're hearing the message and they're refusing to move into the purpose for their calling. But the Lord says, for some, when they had heard, they did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Two questions are asked here. With whom was he grieved for 40 years? And we've already answered that. Uh, Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they would not enter into his rest, but them that believed not? And folks, this isn't dealing again with saved and lost. Do you know that after you're born again, you still have to continue believing in the Lord? Oftentimes that word with regard to believing, which is pistuo, um, is oftentimes as a present active participle, which means a continuing, generally means a continuing action. You don't believe in the Lord one time and that's it. Abraham didn't believe in the Lord one time and leave the Ur of Chaldees and was considered faithful. If you look in Hebrews, it shows a progression of his faith, a progression of his walk as the Lord progressively reveals himself. So we actually are in a faith of progression, or we're supposed to be. And so this idea of believing not doesn't mean that they didn't believe in the Lord. It would be kind of hard for them not to believe in the Lord when he showed himself to them on Mount Sinai, wouldn't it? These are the same people that said, Moses, stop the voice. Have him speak to you and you tell us and we'll do it. We just can't bear it anymore. It's hard to believe not to believe in something that's staring you in the face. This idea of believing is they didn't trust him. They didn't believe that he would accomplish what he said he would do. You know, they got to Kadesh Barnea. The Lord's fought for them all this way. They're still here. And all of a sudden, just because the names change and the size changes a little bit, all of a sudden God can't go before them and give them the victory. How often do we do that? I know I'm guilty. How about you? We come to a new trial in our life. Well, the Lord delivered us out of that, but I'm not so sure he can handle this. As you consider these two examples of fellowship, consider these five things that we're told to do. Well, four we're told to do, one we're told not to do. We're not to harden our heart. We are to hold fast our confidence, to hold fast our rejoicing. We're to take heed. In other words, we're to pay attention, be diligent, and we're to exhort one another. As we look at these five things, these five things will work out 
to improving our fellowship with the Lord if we'll do them. They're simple, aren't they? I mean, it's not hard to remember five things. It's harder to do them, but it's not hard to remember them. You remember I mentioned to you that... um, that there were a series, and, and I initially counted uh, 12, but I only found 11 this morning. So that means I either left one out or I miscounted the other day. But there's a series of uh, imperative commands that are given uh, in Hebrews following this third chapter. And I have 11 of them in my notes right now, but I believe that there are 12. And if there are 12, 12 is a number of governmental completion. Five is the number of grace. You know, the Lord could have asked more of us, but he didn't. He asked only what we were able to accomplish through his strength. Therefore, grace. If we, we have the, the six warnings, which is man's number, and then we would look at potentially the 12 imperatives of let us. The first one is in Hebrews 4.1. Uh, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise of being left us of entering into the rest, any of you literally should fail. The King James translates it, should come short of it. But the idea is that you fail in the race. In Hebrews 4.11, we're told, let us labor. You know, it's interesting. Every time the Lord passes a judgment, We so diligently try to do away with it and to to gloss over the word of the Lord. Seriously, go back and look at the judgments that the Lord has pronounced on man and see how hard man has really, really tried to do away with it. Uh, For example, we look in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell and we see... Uh, The Lord's judgment on Eve, her desire would be to her husband. She would have increased pain in childbirth, and she would be beneath the husband as far as the husband would be the head over her. And, um, you know, we've got all kinds of movements going on now to do away with those things. Um, And I won't be descript. It's not appropriate, you know, the idea uh, with regard to that. But... uh, Uh, We sought to to do away with that. For Adam, uh, Adam would be that he would eat his bread by the sweat of his brow. He would work. Not that he didn't work before, but this isn't work that was enjoyable. This was labor. You know, the Lord said work. The government said welfare. We we look at the fact that... um, that thorns and thistles were brought forth and so on and so forth. And and man has sought to do everything he could to do away with those judgments. You look in Genesis 9, you see capital punishment. Our psychologists today tell us that we need to reform them. Um, About three to six months after they've been reformed, they're usually right back in. Uh, They must have enjoyed the Reformation. I don't know. But everything that the Lord has passed judgment on, we've sought to do away with. And I mentioned Adam where he was to eat his bread in the sweat of his brow. And I'm of the opinion that that is not only physical bread, but spiritual bread. The echo comes from this in 2 Thessalonians, where if a man won't work, he will not eat. Now, there's a difference between a man who can't and those who won't. 
And I have no problem with compassion, or we often say charity. Charity means love. There's nothing wrong with love. Um, but the issue is, is there's a difference between those that can and those that won't. And the same applies spiritually. You're not going to eat from the bread of life unless you put a little work in this book. You need to spend time in it, and you need to be able to eat it. And so when we look in Hebrews 4.11, it says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, which we've already looked at in chapter 3. In Hebrews 4.14, Let us hold fast our profession. There it is again. That profession must be important, mustn't it? In Hebrews 4.16, Let us, therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace. We heard that today. Let's look at it in, in regard to context, uh, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help, of the time, help in our time of need with regard to entrance into that rest in our present situation, that we may find or obtain mercy and find grace. In chapter 10, uh, let us draw near with a true heart. In Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. In Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another and provoke into love and good works. In Hebrews 12, 1, we have two of those imperative commands. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And then we're told to let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. In Hebrews 12, 28, we're told to let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. In Hebrews 13, 13, we're told, and here's another example that's provided based off of a type of the offering um, with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 13, 13, let us go forth unto him without the camp. Bearing his reproach. This is where oftentimes the sin offering was, uh, or, or the offering was provided, that it was taken outside of the camp and offered. And what we're told is that he's the offering. He was offered up outside of the camp. He was reproached, not just by the world, but by his own people. Therefore, let us go forth unto him, Without the camp. You know, what that tells us is if we're really going to follow the Lord, we're going to find our circles of friends and our circles of uh, fellowship very small, even among our own brethren. But if we will overcome, if we will rule in that day, then we must go out of the camp unto him and bear his reproach. In Hebrews 13:5, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. How often? Continually, giving thanks to his name. Now, this ties in, and I only have a few minutes, so I'm going to take you through here very quickly. But I thought it was interesting looking at, at this section of Hebrews chapter 3 and uh, correlating that with 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 18, and don't worry, I'm not going to read it all. In 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 1, 
We then as workers together with him beseech you also. Now notice this. That you receive not the grace of God in vain. Is it possible for a believer to receive God's grace in vain? Well, if it weren't possible, then why would the Apostle Paul be saying that to the Corinthians? And I could understand it dealing with common salvation if it was 1 Corinthians, but certainly not his second letter to a believing church. Receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Now that doesn't mean that you've gotten suckered. It means that he's supported you. He's helped you. He's assisted you. And you know, we spent uh, that time in Hebrews 3, and we kept dealing with the word today, indicating a present tense. In the latter portion of verse 2 in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is really a quote coming from Isaiah 49, verses 7 through 14, and it's messianic in its scope. Therefore, the idea in 2 Corinthians 6 must also be messianic or millennial, in its scope. In verse 3, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things approving, and there's the present active participle again. Emphasis being on a continuous action. We're to constantly be approving all things, um, or in all things, with regard to our service to God. Now, here we come into demerics again. As we look at approving ourselves as ministers uh, of, of Christ, there are ten things that are listed here that we will endure. Ten being a number of ordinal completion. As we endure, uh, well, these are things that we must do. I'm sorry, not things that we endure. We'll, we'll see those later, but... Uh, as we endure, we must do so in much patience. And the idea here for patience is hopeful endurance. We must, deal, uh, we must do these things in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tolments. And really that means instability. And it's not referring to our bodies as being unstable, as they are. It's referring to fellowships other believers. How many times do you talk to somebody? And I've told you this joke before, but I'll, I'll say that rather than give you the example. The captain was uh, sailing and uh, on his uh, big boat and saw this little island. And on that island, his spotter saw a hut. And so they took some lifeboats and he and a couple of men went out to this island to see if there were any, any uh, um, people stranded on the island. And they found one man. And they were asking him uh, some questions, and the captain finally couldn't wait any longer. His curiosity got the best of him, and he said, So you're the only person here. Um, what, are, what are these huts? He said, Well, this one is where I live. He said, That one over there is um, 
where I go to church. And the captain said, well, what's that one? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. Um, how many times do you talk to somebody and then there's always a church breaking up, splitting? Or there's, if they don't physically split, there's just such a divide and animosity within the church that there's no real fellowship. That's what we're told oftentimes that we'll have to endure. And I'm afraid that kingdom believers oftentimes get to see it more frequently and experience it more acutely than than those that are just arguing over whether they need green carpet or red carpet. But tolements is one of those things, or instability is one of those things that we must endure, not just within the world system, but also amongst ourselves. In labors, and the idea for the usage of the word labors here is to labor with trouble and toil, also translated with regard to weariness. In watchings, and it means sleeplessness, and in fastings. And as we endure through these things, how are we supposed to do them? Notice there are 11 things that are mentioned after this, and don't ask me why it used 11 here. I I don't have an answer for you. But we endure and go through these things by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by unfeigned or sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. And then it continues on with as statements. uh, And there are seven of those. As deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, living, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor and yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. If you'll look down in verse 16... Um, we'll, we'll look at this thought and I'll, I'll give you some thoughts on what we've just looked at. The Lord has given a promise in the latter portion of verse 16 where he says, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is the end result we're looking for. As you move on into verse 17 and 18, there's three other promises making a total of seven. I will receive you, I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Is this not what we desire? There are 28 things listed in verses 4 through 10. Why 28? What's the multiples of 28? The one that immediately comes to mind is four and seven, right? Four being a number of creation and seven being a number of divine, spiritual perfection or completion. This is showing the sons and the daughters enduring to a state of completion where the Lord's work in them and through them is perfected. And that's when that work is completed and perfected. He will dwell in them. He will walk in them. He will be their God. They'll be his people. We will be received 
and he will be a father unto us, and we shall be his sons and his daughters. It's the same as being a partaker of Christ. It's the same as being the house of Christ, and it is progressive. And the goal out ahead is for him to be our God, for us to be his people, and for us to be sons and daughters. And you know, we mentioned the last time I was here with, with uh, a study on wisdom. And you know, we said the parable of the ten virgins, the foolish virgins, the moronic virgins, were those that knew how to prepare and chose not to. As we see this in Scripture, and we stand before the Lord in that day, we really have no excuse to say that we didn't know how to prepare. He's told us time and time again how we're to prepare to be received by Him as our Father and as our King. And so, today, while it's called today, hear His voice. Do not harden your heart. Hold fast your confidence with regard to the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that He will accomplish regardless of what man says, whether it's a saved man or not, the Lord said he's coming again. The Lord says he's establishing a kingdom and he will rule and reign and he'll do it. And if we are in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and we love his coming kingdom, then we'll rejoice even now knowing that as a faithful God, he'll bring it to pass. May not be in our time and when we would like to see it, but he will do it. And we need to consider one another. This race is hard enough as a group. We'll never make it if we try to run alone. And that's why Hebrews tells us to consider one another, not once, but twice. And it also tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And that's not a verse you use to support church service. That's not how it's fit in context. But the idea is that you don't isolate yourself off. You know, our enemy is as a roaring lion going about seeking whom he can devour. Have you ever seen how a lion, really it's a lioness, lion, man, he lays around. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't cook unless he has to. But have you seen the lionesses hunt and then the lion will come and take his share? Have you seen how they hunt out of a herd? They single one out. They separate him from the group. And not long after they separate him from the group, he's slaughtered. The enemy likes the tumults, he likes the confusion, he likes the chaos. Because in bringing about chaos in our individual lives, as in, as in the church, he is seeking to thwart God completing his perfect work in us and in the body of Christ. That's why you find the usage of the number of 11 in Scripture with regard to rebellion and sin. It brings about chaos and disorder, and that's what happened when Lucifer fell. Chaos and disorder was what was brought about when Adam and Eve fell. And that's where Satan is at home. And he is seeking to draw us. Rather than drawing us under perfection and completion, he desires to draw us into chaos and ruin. And that's the choice that lays before us. Do you want to be partakers with Christ? Do these things. If not, know that your adversary will draw you into chaos and in ruin. And one day, being rejected by the Lord, the choice is yours. But hear his voice today, and I would plead with you not to harden your heart, knowing what's about to come. Um, Bob or whoever.